after all this time. I think most of, it, most of us would have been there at some point, maybe not all of us, uh, when we were meeting at Morecambe High School pre-COVID. Um, most of us have probably been at least once then. That was what, like, that was 2019, end of 2019, early 2020. So eight, oh, that felt like ages ago. It was ages ago because we've had like, the whole pandemic in that whole time. Um, and so this is it. So three weeks today, Heart Church launches. And I, I don't know, I'm just like really excited because, you know, when you're building up to something, building up to something, it just gets closer and closer. You kind of just want to jump into it, don't you, eventually? Um, and uh, I, I just want to encourage you, let's keep praying. Uh, let's not stop praying or, or think that we've reached something. Even when we hit, hit launch Sunday, yes, great, we've launched the church, but it's like a wedding, you know. Um, yeah, I know you guys are getting married soon. Uh, woo! Um, uh, but it's like a wedding. Like you, you spend so much time preparing for that wedding day. But if all you ever do in preparing for your marriage is you prepare for a wedding day, you're not very well prepared for your marriage. Because actually your wedding day is just the starting point but you've got, hopefully, a lifetime to go on with. And, and that's the same for us as Heart Church. We can prepare towards Launch Sunday, and it's really exciting. It's a significant moment for us. But if our excitement stops there and our planning and preparation stops there, then actually the lifelong seeing of, of life-giving church that God, God wants us to be in and the lives that he wants to be transformed won't happen if we just think we've reached a moment and we sort of settle there. We've got to push uh, beyond there, because I believe uh, this is a significant moment for not just us. Like I was thinking about this this week. Like how many times now? I mean, God might call us, call me, or call us to plant more churches. I don't know what He's going to do. I don't think He's going to call me to plant a church three years ago, but He did. Um, how many times in your life do you get to like be part of starting a church? Like, just, just you just don't do it. Like, well, most people don't do it anyway. Um, but it's just, it's, it's quite cool. Um, but also, I believe it's a significant moment for our town. And I, I don't say this in like an arrogant way, saying we are the saviors of Morecambe. Far from it. Like, the kingdom's much bigger than Heart Church. But I do believe that we are going to see God do some amazing things among us. And as God does amazing things among us, that can't help but see transformation in our town. And therefore, I believe that, yes, we can, it's great to see the Eden Project happen. Yes, it's great to see government policy or whatever else change. But we know that we have the hope of the world in his name, Jesus Christ. And so, ultimately, all those things are important. All those things can, can see transformation in people's lives, but they don't see the deepest transformation that people need. And that's Jesus. So I believe that this is significant, um, not because we are necessarily going to be the be-all and end-all of all that God is going to do and more come far from it. But I believe that God is going to do some incredible things among us. Um, and this is just the beginning. Um, so I keep going on that, but we have a series to finish. And so it's the third part of our, our very short series called Promises, looking at the, the story of Abraham and so far, in the two, we've missed out a lot, and we'll miss out a lot. Um, but basically, so far, we've sort of seen the, the, the very first where we see uh, Abraham is called by God to leave nearly everything behind, and he's given this promise of, by God that he's going to inherit a land, that he's going to be a blessing, but also he will be a blessing to others, that, he, that through his descendants, all the nations are going to be blessed and when we looked at that, we saw that actually Jesus is in the line of Abraham, and therefore he is the fulfillment of that promise that all the nations will be blessed through Abraham. That was our first one. The second one we looked at was no shortcuts. 
that there are no shortcuts to the promises of God. Sometimes the process that God wants to take us through, that even though Abraham um, tried, uh, and Sarah tried to shortcut God's promises and take things into their own hands, and semi-successfully, Abraham did have a son with Hagar. It wasn't what God, what God wanted, and God continued to be faithful to them even though they were faithless, and they eventually have their promised son, Isaac. And so today we are looking at um, our final word, which is obedience always requires sacrifice. In order to be obedient to God, it always requires sacrifice. It always requires us to deny something of ourselves in order, always in order to follow the call of God. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to open it up and turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. And when I sort of, sort of planned this series, I was like, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this message. And, and then I started this week reading this a bit more. And uh, I realized afresh how difficult this passage actually is. We can learn so much through it, but actually this is one of like, the most difficult and challenging passages potentially in the Bible. How many of you know that the Bible is sometimes quite challenging to read? Like there are some verses, there are some chapters in the Bible that we that make us kind of, in our, from a modern reader's perspective, go like it's a bit cringy. It's like how, how do we deal with this through our modern lens? It's not to say the Bible is wrong, but the way we view it sometimes isn't right. And actually, what we see in this chapter is that God asks Abraham to sacrifice the son that he's just been that he's that is, the promise has just been fulfilled for. And it, can, it kind of gets us to ask some quite difficult questions, right? Like, what kind of God would ask for this? Your promised son, your, your only son is, I know there's Ishmael, but in kind of, in terms of inheritance and everything else, this is like his prized possession in many ways. Now I want you to go and sacrifice it. Is God really commanding child sacrifice? Doesn't that sort of fly in the face? Isn't that in direct conflict with so much of what God seems to value? And hopefully by the end of this, we'll be able to answer some of those quite challenging questions. Because whilst it's quite a difficult passage, I actually think it's something that hopefully will inspire us uh, too. So I'm going to read um, from verse 1 to verse 19 uh, for us. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. I'd love to know how you carry fire. but um, As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. 
He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on the earth will be blessed because you obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off to Bathsheba and Abraham stayed in Bathsheba. So God calls a man named Abraham, later known as Abraham, to launch his rescue plan for, to bless the whole world through Abraham's family. But there's a problem. Abraham is childless. His wife is barren, as we looked at last week. And though this sort of problem of his wife being barren and not able to have children lurks in the background, God reaffirms his promise over and over again that they will have a child. And one day they do have a son. And there's the, there's the promise is starting to be fulfilled that, he, that through Abraham's descendants, a great, uh, the nations will be blessed. And Isaac is born. This is the star of the rescue plan. But then this comes in the very next chapter that the rescue plan, the son, the promised son, is then, God says, taken to a mountain I will show you and sacrifice him. I mean, Abraham must have been confused. I mean, what, what's going on here? Why would God promise him a son and then say, I'm going to take away your son? At best, it feels a bit like a strange, sort of bit weird inconsistency. At worst, it's kind of evil. But what's really going on here? And when we, when we look at the context, I believe we, we notice three things that lead us to a, a deeper, greater understanding of what's going on. So Genesis 22, the first thing we see is that the chicks are really hatching. There's a mallet we've paid for the building that they're hatching. Anyway, firstly, this wasn't Abraham's first experience with God. If this was Abraham's first experience of God, then his, his, the knowledge he already has might mean he might have had a different response to God. But God has already revealed himself to Abraham many times through Abraham's successes and his failures, through his faith and his fear, in his, pro in his promises and his forgiveness. Abraham knew the character of God. Once he even asked God in Genesis 18, will not the judge of all the earth do right? He knew the character and the heart of God. 
maybe after that encounter he had when he was pleading with God, God, won't you do the right thing in Genesis 18? Maybe he'd actually settled that question in his heart and mind once and for all. But Abraham obeyed God's unexpected command because he trusted God's promise. And he knew God to be a good God. He knew God to be trustworthy. And so even in this time of testing, where God is, there's a purpose within this, where God is deepening Abraham's capacity, strengthening his faith, his trust, stretching and developing his character. As God tests him, Abraham knows the God who is testing him. And so even though it might seem really hard, he is willing to trust God. Like we see in, in, verse, in verse 3, he goes to bed and then the very next morning he, he gets up and he goes and follows the instruction that God has given him. He is swift to be obedient. See, God never truly wanted Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. We see that does go against all the, where else, other parts of Scripture. But God did want him to show where his priorities lie. He wanted to know that he trusted God first, that he trusted God to provide for him, that he was trusting God's plan. Obedience requires sacrifice. Obedience requires, even when it seems really hard, even when it's going to actually be quite hard on us, that we say yes to God's plan. Secondly, Abraham didn't actually think Isaac was going to die. You're thinking, what? Let's let me show you. You're right. <laughs> uh, when they reached the mountain, Abraham told his servant, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you again. It's almost like a statement of faith. Look, we're going to go, but we're also going to come back. That it's, I don't think it's a mistake that, that here Isaac is on the return journey as well as on, the one, on, on arriving at the mountain. Then we see actually in, in verse 8, or consider when we see Isaac's questioning, like, right, we've got the fire, we've got the wood, now where's the lamb? Abraham responds with a statement of faith, God himself will provide the lamb. It seems that Abraham has prepared himself to do what God has asked, but he also expected and had faith that something else was going to happen. We see this as well, actually, in the, uh, in the author of the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, we, we see the hall of faith. And I've not got this in my notes, so I'm going to come and read it from here because normally it's going to be there. And it says this, By faith, Abraham, when, he, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises of God was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now read this. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so... In a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. He reckoned with himself that even if he had to follow through in killing his son, that God could raise him back from the dead and the promise could still be fulfilled because he trusted in the promises of God. Abraham knew that God was faithful to his promise. Abraham knew that God was a good God. And Abraham was spared having to sacrifice his son physically on the altar. See, when the Bible depicts violence and some of these really tough situations, it's often not what's 
at first glance, it's what's going on. At surface, we, on a surface level, we, we can quite easily misunderstand what's going on. We can start to maybe not see the character that's involved, their motivations or their intentions. In other cases, we, we, when we start to see the, what you call the, the grand narrative, the meta-narrative, the, the, the big picture of the Bible in context, we start to be able to understand these things a bit easier. But I suppose, we, and, th- and, that's what, and when I say that, we get to see our third point, is that what we see here is a prophetic reenactment. A prophetic reenactment, a foretelling, a foreshadowing of what we see happens. The story of Abraham and Isaac takes on lots more significance when we view it in the big picture of the Bible. Throughout the Bible, we see God actually ask different prophets to almost reenact like some miniature things that he would do on a larger scale later on. Acts that seem strange in, in themselves, but until you start to see the, the allegory, the picture that God is painting for us later on, we start to ask different questions when we see the big picture. When we read Genesis 22, we can quite easily think, how could God require this? But when we look at it through the lens of prophetic reenactment, we can ask, what did God intend for us to learn through this? So rather, why is God doing this? What is God intending us to learn? So let me give you a couple of examples. So God called the prophet Hosea to act the part of God in marrying a prostitute in Hosea chapter 1. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel's asked to lie on his side for over a year to symbolize the siege of Jerusalem in Ezekiel chapter 4. And so actually what we're seeing going on here is Abraham is asked to play the part of God in the sacrifice of his own son. So what the, who does that make Isaac? If Abraham is acting the part of God, Isaac shows us Jesus. I have to ask, have, have they hatched? Woo! <laughs> cool. Um, where were we? There we are, yeah. And so what we see going on here, right in Genesis 22, is this beautiful picture of Jesus. See, God does take his son. And he is our sacrificial lamb. Jesus is sacrificed for us in our place so that we don't have to be. Isaac is symbolic of of Jesus. See, John says in in John 1 verse 29, when this is John the Baptist talking about Jesus, when we see Jesus, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is our sacrificial lamb who is sacrificed on a mountain for me and for you in our place.
And I don't know about you, but when we see everything that Jesus has done for us, that he sacrifices everything for us, how can we not sacrifice in obedience everything to him? How can we not be willing to do whatever he calls us to do? When the Lamb of God is willing to take on himself our punishment, our, our sin, so that we don't have to face that punishment. Because so it says in, in John, sorry, no, not in John, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, such a, a beautiful verse, for the wages of sin is death. What our, our life is earning us is death, it is separation from God, our sin, our, it, it, it separates us from God. But this verse, if you leave it there, is full of like, there's no hope. But the verse doesn't stop there because it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That in Jesus Christ, sacrificing and dying in our place, we can know eternal life. We can know hope. We can know true life and freedom for all eternity. But without that, we have no hope. Without receiving what Jesus has done for us, we have a lost eternity. An eternity without God. An eternity without hope. And so this is, a, in some respects, quite a, a difficult passage. And in some ways, I've probably gone in a totally different direction to where I thought I was going to at the start of a series. But hey, that happens sometimes. But what we do see is that the promise that we looked at in that very first message where we looked at that they would be a, a blessing to all the nations, to the ends of the earth, starts to happen and is actually being pictured here in Genesis 22. See, Jesus isn't just only in the New Testament. We can see Jesus throughout the whole of the Bible. But I wonder, what is it that maybe God might call us to sacrifice? What is it that God might be calling us to lay down in obedience to him, to step into the promises that he has for us. Abraham received God's abundant blessing because he did not hold back, but he obeyed God. He sees the fulfillment of the promises that God has made to him time and time again because he, God saw that he, because he did not withhold his son, that he, he feared God and God blessed him abundantly. I want to be someone who is blessed abundantly because I'm obedient to God. And we see from this that doesn't always look easy. <laughs> that doesn't mean that the road's going to be really easy and, and sort of plain sailing. But I wouldn't want to be on any other road than the road that God wants me to be on. Following him and, being, and sacrificing and laying everything down for him. So we're going to have a moment of quiet and I thought, I thought as I was preparing this, it would be really appropriate for us just to share in communion. And we got our new our heart church communion tray, so I thought we'd better get used to that. But and it's a, primarily because I just thought it, it worked really well with, with where I sort of sensed God was landing this message. So we're going to spend some, a moment in quiet. Maybe you just want to spend some time just seeking God, asking God, what are you saying to me? Maybe you need to say sorry for when you've withheld yourself from him. Maybe you need to seek his forgiveness. 
Yeah, Father God, we thank you that you did that you did send Jesus and that Jesus came willingly to die in our place. Giving everything for us because you love us that much. That you saw it fit that you would come and die in our place so that we could be forgiven, to, to pay our punishment, to die in our place. And we thank you that the cross means that we can know true forgiveness full forgiveness that Lord that you that your your word says that if we confess our sin you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness that as far as the east is from the west that's how far you have removed our transgressions from us god we thank you for the power of the cross god we thank you for your faithfulness and god we just pray as we we take of these symbols be only just some bread and some juice god that we're just taste afresh of your grace of your love of the depths of your love for us. But also, God, I pray that it might spur us on in obedience to you to live lives of living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to you. That this message might be the message that is the core truth of what who we are as Heart Church, but also is the core truth that sees lives transformed in our town and beyond God. I just pray that you just continue to move by your power of your spirit in these moments as we take communion together, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he took bread and when he gave him thanks for it, he, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Then after supper, he, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Stand back here. The new covenant in my blood. So what I want to encourage you is the, the cup and the bread come round to, to take some time to grab some bread, grab a cup at the same time and as you're ready to, to eat of the bread and, and drink of the cup in, in, in thankfulness, for you, being thankful for all this represents for you and for each of us and for this world, uh, that there is hope because Jesus died and rose back to life for us. So Elliot's going to come and help hand it round and just take some time, take a moment and um, after a few moments, Johnny and Lisa will come and lead us in worship.